0: Welcome back to the Physical Therapy Clinical Development Podcast. This is your host, J.A. Graves. Today, I will be talking about choosing the right exercises, difficult diagnoses to treat and how to go about treating them, as well as covering movement training components or pillars. All right. So the first question I'm going to be talking about today uh, comes from Jerome. Uh, Jerome wants to know, how do you choose appropriate exercises for your patients? What books, websites, or resources do you use? Uh, This is a really good question, Jerome. And the, the answer really comes in the form of your assessment. So what type of assessment are we doing and what does that tell us about the patient's current competencies and capacities? So what we wanna look at with our assessment is how well does somebody move you know, what are some movement dysfunctions that might stand out as well as what do they have available in terms of capacity? Um, are, what's their strength like? What's their, um, you know, endurance? What's their um, failure tolerance? And so with your assessment, it makes it much easier to choose um, what I would say would be appropriate exercises. Now I think what you might be asking too is how do you make exercise selections? So. You know, you've got a patient with lower back pain, or you've got a patient with knee pain. How do you make the decision on what exercise to do? for, uh, you know, to try to, to try to treat that pain or dysfunction. And again, it comes back to your assessment, but you also want to make sure you have uh, what's called a trainable menu. And so a trainable menu is a series of exercises um, that you have um, typically listed in order of regressions to progressions. Um, and depending upon your assessment, your patient will start at a certain point, um, and then you have the opportunity to either progress or regress depending on how they perform the exercise. So this would be how I would go about choosing exercises. Uh, I've got a trainable menu. I kind of have my go-tos um, with modifications as needed. Um, and then I, I think the other part of your question is, is where do you find this stuff? Where, where do you learn exercises? And uh, I'll be honest with you. A lot of this comes from just experience. It comes from time. Um, you know, trying different things and and being willing to try new things, as well as picking the brains of others, Um, you know, having a wide variety of of people to influence you, to mentor you, to give you ideas. Um, But again, all of that um, is kind of uh, pointless if you don't have a good assessment to get you to the exercise that's going to accomplish the goal. Right. So again, your assessment is going to take you on the pathway of establishing a goal or a purpose or an intent behind what it is that you're doing. And if you have a trainable menu, if you've been exposed to multiple different types of exercise interventions, everything from, you know, quote unquote, corrective exercise to mobility exercises to maybe some isolation type exercises, as well as the obvious functional training types of exercises, you can pull from any of those in order to make the, the best decision possible to reach the goal of the patient, of, of the session, um, of the plan of care, um, anything like that. Now, I'll tell you a few of things that have been influential for me was uh, Gray Cook, Gray Cook's uh, functional movement screen and selective functional movement assessment, as well as exercises that um, have come from those resources. Um, understanding anatomy, fascial anatomy, that's been helpful to me. Um, sometimes you'll find great exercises in research articles if you're, if you're reading research on a particular diagnosis or uh, on a particular body region. Um, I know the Journal of Body Work and Movement Therapies has great articles in there from Craig Liebenson, who's been a great influence to me. And there's a bunch of different exercises you can find in there. Um, His book, Rehabilitation of the Spine, uh, the third edition has been instrumental in giving me even more exercise ideas. Um, And then obviously pulling from the world of personal training and strength and conditioning I think is highly valuable for us as PTs to understand those fundamental patterns and make sure that we can coach them, make sure that we can um, apply them appropriately at the right time, at the right dose. Um, and so that would be, that would be my best answer right there is pull from as many resources as you can. Um, I will even go so far as to say as, uh, you know, a resource like Instagram is not terribly bad. I know sometimes social media gets bashed on as a place to learn, but you know, the information in the hands of the right person, of the person with the foundational knowledge, doesn't make it bad um, because you have the foundational knowledge of knowing when to apply that type of exercise or that type of intervention. So again, something like Facebook or Instagram is not necessarily a bad resource, but I would first get started with, with you know, some people like Gray Cook, Gary Gray, um, and, and pretty much anybody in the strength and conditioning world, um, at least to get a good foundation of those exercises. All right, so the next question is coming in from Tyler. Tyler wants to know what is one of the hardest diagnoses to treat in your opinion, and how do you go about trying to treat it? Tyler, I will apologize um, in advance for my answer um, because I, I'm not sure that I, that I, that I think um, that there is a hard diagnosis to treat. Um, allow me to explain. Um, I think, you know, first of all, we have to define what's a good outcome. Right, because, because I think what you're getting at is, you know, what's a hard diagnosis to treat or what's a hard diagnosis to help a patient resolve? And so we have to first decide what's a good outcome and that, that's gonna come between you and a patient, right? So, um, you know, you guys are gonna sit together collectively and try to figure out what's the end goal here. Uh, are, we, are we shooting for the stars and, and we're trying to get 100% pain resolution? Are we trying to have more good days than bad days? Are we trying to um, maybe perform and participate in an activity that was once, um, you know, they were once unable to do? So first of all, we have to decide what's the outcome. The other component of this too that makes this very circumstantial and situational is all, all the other contextual factors and all the other components that go into developing a plan of care, working with a a, a living, breathing. Um, you know, human being who has other things going on other than just an orthopedic pain problem. I think that orthopedic and sports diagnoses that come in the door, for the most part, are pretty straightforward. Um, But again, those different circumstances and different situations may make a relatively easy diagnosis difficult um, to to treat. And so again, we have to decide on an outcome and, and what is our outcome um, in order to know that we're successful. But then we have to figure out, um, you know, what are the patient's expectations? What What are they expecting to get out of this? What do they expect the plan of care to look like? Does that match up with your expectations? Are you able to develop rapport? Can you educate them in such a way that they truly understand what it is that you're saying and they're going to buy in, right? What other comorbidities do they have that may negatively influence the decided upon outcome. So it's again, it's multifactorial. There's a lot of things going on here um, when, when talking about this. Um, you know, if you would have asked me a couple years ago, um I probably would have followed suit with a lot of people and said, you know, persistent low back pain is very difficult to treat. Um that has become easier to treat. In the last couple of years, uh, and again, this comes from you know the willingness to try new things, uh, changing my approach to patient communication, establishing new expectations, violating patients' expectations in such a way that I'm able to actually. Change the way they think about what they have going on um, that's not unique to me. Um, and again, I don't claim to be able to treat everything or anything and, and, and be a magician and, and cure everything. But again, I think as, as you are in clinical practice longer, your mindset will change and, and you will start to see patterns and you'll start to um, you know understand that, that you know maybe maybe a lot of these there's, there's no hard condition to treat. There's, there might be a hard circumstance to navigate. There might be a patient that has several layers that you have to peel back um, in order for your message to really resonate with them. Um, and the problem is, is that if we have a hard time doing that, if we can't make that happen, we might have a bad outcome. So if I have a series of bad outcomes with lower back pain, as a clinician, my confidence is going to go down and, and, and lower back pain is going to end up on my list of hard diagnoses or, or one of those diagnoses that I really don't want to work a lot with. So again, I think this is very circumstantial. It's very situational. It's very dependent upon the individual. Um, again, I think as a as a profession, as a rehabilitation profession, because I'll clump us all in there, all the other rehab professionals out there, I think for the most part, we do a great job uh, of treating most diagnoses that are, that are um, actually um, appropriate for treatment. Um, I, again, I think the, the, the problem just lies in uh, the circumstances or perhaps the individual or uh, maybe an inability to connect, develop rapport, or set appropriate goals and expectations. All right, so the last question comes in from Anoushka. Anoushka wants to know about movement training components or pillars. So um, I, I've got two answers for this because I think I know where the question is here and what and, and what is um, looking for, um, but I'm gonna give two answers so that I can be sure that I answer the question correctly. Um, that way, if I'm wrong on one, there's a backup answer. So when it comes to movement training components or pillars, um, First, what I'm going to speak to is what I believe to be fundamentals of movement, things that we should be um, definitely implementing in our plans um, with our patients, Um, and this comes from really from the world of uh, performance, um, strength and conditioning, personal training But essentials when it comes to movements are going to be those movements which we deem functional or which we deem uh, fundamental. And so, um, you know, there's kind of a general consensus out there in the performance and uh, physical therapy and strength conditioning world on some fundamental patterns. So we talk about squatting, um, hinging. We talk about doing single leg um, and split stance type maneuvers and exercises, such as a step up or a lunge, um, pressing variations that occur both in the horizontal and vertical plane, and uh, pulling variations, again, occurring both in the horizontal and vertical plane. Um, uh, the, there's a strong, strong argument for the importance of, of carrying things, so doing loaded carries. Uh, Dan John is a big proponent of that, and I have to agree. I think I think carrying is a functional activity, and it, it can be a great, great workout. Um, and then on top of that, we've got um, uh, kind of core, you know, in, in a very general and very vague way, core exercises, whether that be anti-types of exercises, including anti-extension, anti-rotation, anti-flexion, anti-lateral flexion, anti lateral flexion um, or rotations, that, are, or sorry, or exercises that actually do induce rotation or movement through the lumbopelvic region. So again, I think, I think if this question from Anushka is geared towards movement training components from a fundamental movement perspective, um, that's what I would say. Again, squat, hinge, uh, single leg stance, split stance, push, pull, both vertically and horizontally, um, carry objects. Um, and then some form of core, whether it be anti exercises or again exercises that actually induce movement through the uh, thoracolumbar and lumbopelvic region. Now, the other component to this question that might be what uh, Anushka is looking for is you know components of a well structured physical therapy program, exercise program, um, and so. The way that I kind of think of this is in terms of how I might write a strength program for somebody, or how I might write a personal training program, and much of this comes from the world of strength and conditioning, from personal training, um, from um, influences of mine. But basically, I break my sessions down into two components. I've got a warm-up, and I've got a training session in my physical therapy sessions with patients. And so that warm up is I often refer to it as a movement preparation or movement prep, um, or again you can call it a dynamic warm up. Um basically what that's going to consist of is um basically preparing the patient for a more intense strength program. It within that session. So if I'm going to see a patient for an hour, that movement prep could be anywhere from five minutes to 25 minutes to 30 minutes depending upon what all they've got going on leaving the remaining time for what we call general physical preparation or GPP which is going to consist of those fundamental patterns that I just talked about of squatting, hinging, pushing, pulling, etc. So again, that that dynamic warm up, that movement prep. You know, we're going to work on mobility. We're going to work on uh, muscle activation. We're going to work on maybe some energy storage and release or plyometric type movements. Um, we're going to work on um, like core. Uh, you know, the Exos community calls it pillar prep. So core, glute activation, things like that, in preparation for. Um, uh, the GPP. So again, that warm-up, we're trying to elevate core temperature. We're trying to uh, develop um, a respectable amount of mobility in preparation for training. Uh, we're trying to uh, activate key musculature. We're trying to potentiate the nervous system, uh, again, in preparation for some higher intensity activity in order to minimize injury risk. But also this gives us an opportunity to develop perhaps develop new movement competencies or allow somebody to move a little bit better before we start to load them in these uh, fundamental patterns again of squatting, hinging, pushing, pulling, uh, standing on a single leg, performing split stance variations, carrying objects, uh, doing uh, additional core exercises. So again, uh, two answers here. We've got what I believe to be fundamental movements which I've said a million times already, so I won't say it again. And then we also have the way I might structure a a movement training program or a clinical program with a patient that is um, heavily dependent upon movement, which most of my programs are. Um, again, and that's going to include a dynamic warm up or movement preparation, as well as the later half of the session being dedicated to GPP um, or general physical preparation. All right, guys, this wraps up episode four of the Physical Therapy Clinical Development Podcast. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please, please, please give me a five-star rating. Um, I don't do ads on this podcast. I don't accept money for this podcast. Um, And I try to give as good of information as I possibly can to you guys. So all I ask in return, give me a five-star rating, tell a friend. Um, if you are not already in the Facebook group, Physical Therapy Clinical Development, join. If you are in the group, invite a friend. Um, my goal is to reach as many, uh, as many of you as I can. So if you think you've got friends that might benefit from this information, please uh, share the podcast, share the group, um, as well as give, uh, give a good rating if you like um, what we're doing here. Uh, thank you guys for listening and we'll see you for episode five.